Hello and welcome to the Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week podcast. I'm Wilma Norton from the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. I'm Devin Dominguez, Chair of Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week. And I'm Holly Moon, Co-Chair of Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week. The Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week podcast features personal, casual conversations with and about people who are making a difference in our communities. Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week is a reimagination of National Philanthropy Day produced by the Association of Fundraising Professionals, Tampa Bay, and created in partnership with our friends and presenting sponsor, Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. So with us today is Joanne Yurofsky, who is the general manager of WUSF. Do I have that right, Joanne? You do. We go by WUSF Public Media because it encompasses both of our radio stations and all of our digital properties as well. Of course, I should have known that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, So we want to thank you for being a sponsor of Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week and give you an opportunity to tell those who are listening who maybe aren't familiar with WUSF Public Media a little bit about all the great things that you do. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, we have such great uh, philanthropists donating to our station that I'm really happy to be able to talk about all the wonderful things they do for us. Well, great. Well, talk a little bit about the umbrella that WUSF Public Media encompasses. The radio station WUSF we know, but there's also WSMR and uh, a number of other things these days. Well, we've grown with the digital age. So our broadcast stations, of course, provide the backbone for all of the information that you hear. Because without broadcasting, we don't have our streams. Um, we have a lot of people listening on our streams to, the, to both stations, our classical station and our news information and jazz station. Um, and we also have people looking at our websites. And we have Uh, numerous websites. We have WUSF.org. We have WUSFnews.org. We have healthnewsflorida.org for all of our health news. Um, We have thezestpodcast.com. And um, we have WUSFjazz.org. And we have a new website that we'll be launching soon. Um, And I'll be excited to talk about that uh, one day soon. As will I. I know I know about that. I think people are going to be excited about that. Um, when COVID hit all of us, uh, you and all of your properties in, uh, had to pivot. I mean, we keep using that word pivot, shift, adapt. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. You and I were talking earlier about, I remember seeing pictures of some of your anchors working in their closets at home and that sort of thing. That can't have been easy. So talk to us a little bit about how how you were able to make that happen. You know, as a longtime broadcaster um, with radio, you kind of have to be at the studio to get your work done. And what we've known over the years is technology has been our friend. So we can do some things that allow us over the weekends, for instance, to voice track, meaning we record the, the voice tracks and insert them into the programs, you know, as there are openings in the programs. And so that's how we do weekends. 
but we never thought that people would be broadcasting from home, let alone their, their closets or, or whatever small corner they've found that they can dedicate to a nice quiet place to work. And I think that surprised all of our staff that we were able to do this. Um, so all of a sudden you have Russell Gant on our classical station who's carving out a little niche of space in, in his closet. And closets are great because all those clothes in there kind of deaden any echoes and give you a good sound quality. Um, and we didn't really have enough equipment for people to take home. But it was one of those things, I think, I think uh, March 13th might've been a Friday and we were starting to understand that this remote work was going to be a possibility. And our technical staff spent the weekend figuring out what do we have that people can take home to broadcast from home? Because for anybody with any kind of um, pre-existing medical condition, the thought of the pandemic was even more terrifying than for people who thought they were in relatively good health. So, so you have people that are terrified to come into the station. Um, and remember, we weren't supposed to be wearing masks back then either. So all of this, all of the information we were getting has changed. And once we were able to get people with basic, basic equipment so they could go home and start broadcasting from home, then we started to think about some other things that would be happening, like, like the approach of hurricane season. You know, we take our commitment to serving our community in times of emergency very seriously. We're part of the Florida Emergency, uh, Florida Public Radio Emergency Network, and and um, have help from from them with the weathercasters, helping us guide people and keeping them up to date on what to do during us during a storm. And all of a sudden, we're thinking, well, how do we do that? Because it it was difficult to be live with enough people. Right. Well, and you're on the university campus as well, so the university campus was closed down. Yes. And likely yeah. would be in the case of a hurricane. Well, absolutely. And we do get special permission to be in our building, which is relatively safe. And in fact, during Irma, we had 25 people in the building covering that hurricane. And, and that included about three people from NPR who were here with us covering, covering uh, the, the storm for NPR. Um, we had technical staff, we had broadcast staff, we had operations, technical guys. Um, you know, everybody that, that it took to make this possible. Um, and it was 25 people. Uh, we had three people that were remotely located in emergency operations centers. So this covering a hurricane for us takes a really big effort. We've been really fortunate this year. Yeah, thank goodness we didn't have a hurricane on top of a pandemic. Well, and I know in our own experience at the Community Foundation, we were the same way. We were scrambling on about the 13th of March to figure out how many people had laptops and how we were going to, to do all of that. Going forward at that point, like you said, we didn't know if this was gonna be two weeks, two months, six months. I don't think any of us imagined. Not even. We were still going to be having this conversation in November or we hoped not anyway. And I'm assuming that there was nowhere in the budget to start thinking about adding all of this equipment and how to make this happen within, oh, a week or so. Um, I know you have wonderful philanthropic support from 
lots of folks across our community. Um, is this where you had to raise your hand and say, hey, we need your help? How did that work? Well, so one of the things that's always been hard to, to get philanthropic funding to support is technology. Because, you know, our business is built on little black boxes that sit in racks that make things happen, that make on air happen, that take take the signal to the transmitter site, that, um, you know, microphones, nobody really wants to fund a microphone, no matter how essential it is to our built to our op ability to operate. And I completely understand that people are it's not exciting, <laughs> not exciting. People are excited about programs and and the things that we can do that are helping in the community. So um, we had a fabulous grant opportunity come up from a foundation that was focused on helping nonprofits get through the pandemic. And uh, we got a we got a very nice grant that enabled us to buy seven work from home kits, we called them. So we were also operating our computers on Windows 7. Oh, which, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of, you know, those are the things that you defer when you're a nonprofit. You, right. you do not have, you do not always have the latest cutting edge technology. We do for the broadcast side, but, you know, when you come into work and you sit down and fire up your computer, not so much there for, for our staff. Um, so with this grant, we were able to buy seven work from home kits and upgrade some equipment for some, some staff. And um, we had another donor who we'd been talking to about our effort and she was so inspired by, by this that she funded two work from home kits for us. And so that was a real transformative, really transformative moment um, to have a donor saying, no, you need to keep being able to do your news and I'm going to step up and fund that. Um, well, and, and knowing how you work and how many of the people in AFP and, and the folks that we all work with work, I have to believe this wasn't a new donor who just popped up, that this is somebody you had probably spent many years building a relationship and a trust with. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how that works in your business, both, I think, with listeners in general and, and with folks like this? Well, this is somebody that we had known for years as a professional and in fact, who headed a foundation and we had a great relationship through, through the foundation. Um, and um, when she retired, she continued to personally support us and we got to know her even better. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing how people's lives change when, when they retire and, um, get to really explore things that they are personally interested in. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we had lots of great time to spend with her over, the, you're right, it took, took years. We spent time over the years. And, and as her generosity increased, we were inspired to ask her to be on our community advisory board. And we're very happy when she accepted. And um, the more she's gotten to know us, the more generous she has, um, been to, to WUSF Public Media, and um, I'm really grateful for that relationship. You know, one of the things we've really been exploring on this podcast is about the trust that the organization and the people that work at organizations 
build with the community and with the donors. And one of the things that I really appreciated about WUSF since the spring and moving forward was um, when the pandemic first gloomed over all of us, you decided to not do your spring fun drive. And I was really moved by that. That was something that really instilled a lot of trust um, in me, in your organization, because you knew what was most important to your mission and to the community. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. You know, we, we take a lot of pride in kind of being able to take the temperature of the community. And we knew with everybody kind of in personal lockdown, that that our scheduled campaign was no time to ask people for financial support. People were losing jobs because of the pandemic. They were losing their livelihoods. They were uh, terrified of being evicted from their homes and, and apartments because of inability to pay mortgages and rent. And that's a really terrible time to be on the radio asking for money. Um, and so we decided, well, we've, we can't do this right now. And fortunately, uh, we work with an organization that does a technology survey with us every year and with, with other radio, public radio stations. And they said, we think we'd like to do this tech survey right now so that you can see how listening is changing and to see if your oh. listeners have an appetite for giving. And so I think we did the first one in early May um, and about 50 public radio stations participated, which gave us a nice, uh, a nice number of respondents um, to, to draw some conclusions from. And what I loved about that is people indeed said, yeah, don't ask us for money right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because people were still pretty terrified of, of not knowing what was going to happen to their lives. Um, they also let us know that they were starting to listen differently. And so when you're not commuting to work, you're not listening to the radio in your car in the morning. So all of a sudden there was more listening on our app. There was more listening later in the day. So if your normal commute was at 7.30 in the morning, you might not even be <laughs> getting to your desk in their, your dining room until... Um, a little later, and you might think to turn on the stream on your computer a little later in the day to catch up with the news. You know, so, so a lot of things were changing for us. Um, we did a second survey in June, and it looked like people were starting to become more comfortable with the idea of giving. And so we had already started to plan to have another campaign. But, you know, for us, if, if we're not asking for money in March, that's revenue foregone because it pushes it out into right. the future. And, and so we'll never really make up the loss of those funds. Um, so that was a little challenging for us. Right, and fundraisers always talk about there's an art and there's a science yeah. to fundraising. And I think that's really interesting the way that you approach the data on that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just been really interesting to see all the tools that have become available that we've been able to use or that we've had and we're able to use in different ways because we've we've never used this technology survey for anything other than to figure out the new ways people are listening. Well, and I think it was interesting that you decided not to ask for money, but meanwhile, people became more dependent 
mm-hmm. and tied to you during that time. So it will be interesting to see what the data shows later to see if, you know, if you may make up that money because people are grateful that, A, you didn't ask for money and you were there for them. Well, we we have found that our, our major donors, people who give over $1,200 a year have really stepped up in a new way. Um, and we're really grateful and thankful that they have. So what are the lessons uh, that you're going to carry forward? Are there lessons about how you deal with donors and or how you deal with philanthropy or just how you do your business that you don't see changing or uh, have helped you adapt as as we go into what we hope is a less chaotic 2021. Yeah, I hope it's a less chaotic 2021. You know, on the business side, um, lots of lessons learned. And I think one of the ones that we learned that that business all over the world learned is not everybody actually has to be in the building. You know, we have 75 people on our staff and a big day here is if there are 10 people in the building at the same time. Yeah. Um, and and you can have I my office is on the second floor. We have two floors. I'm on the second floor. And there were days when I knew there were people on the first floor, but I knew they didn't want to see me and I didn't really want to be around them. So I would just come sit in my office, get my work done and leave. And I might see somebody walk by in the hallway, you know, on their way to the water fountain or the restroom. And that was it. Yeah. And, and so we, we, um, we consolidated our space into one building and people were really worried. How, are, how can we be so close to each other? Well, the answer is we're never going to have as many people here at the same time as we used to. There's just not a need for it. Um, our newsroom, uh, we did, we covered elections in a pandemic. And so election night, we had three people in our newsroom. Normally we would have our entire news staff in the newsroom, but not this time. So, uh, well, we had to buy less pizza. So that was, <laughs> say, those, those of us who have news backgrounds missed the election night pizza. <laughs> so less pizza on election night. And, um, we had great coverage, and what we found is that we had the highest uh, page views on our website, uh, second highest page views this past year with over 59,000 people. Um, we were second only to the Tampa Bay Times on election night. So that's a big success for us, and that's something we're going to be able to build on in the future. In our relationship with donors, um, I think I think we're even, first of all, just more grateful than ever for our philanthropic donors. Um, They understand in a whole new way what they can do for us. We had a very generous, uh, extraordinarily generous contribution for our classical station. So classical music has become something that people are understanding is, is a necessary respite to have, and they're willing to support it significantly. Um, and we're really, of course, grateful, grateful that that is happening. Um, that, that was one of the things I found uh, during the pandemic is that at some point during the day, I had, as much as I love WUSF, I had to turn away. And I've listened to WSMR more in the last eight months 
than I had cumulatively probably in the last eight years mm -hmm. because it's that perfect, both soothing and in soothing and inspiring and great to work to. <laughs> you know? Well, think about what we've been inundated with this year, the pandemic, the social justice issues that, that we are still and will be for far into the future working our way through. Um, one of the most contentious elections um, that I, I, I don't, I think we knew how it would be, but until you're going through it and experiencing it, you really don't know how it can be. Right. Um, so we're, we're still working through that process and, and all of these things, you know, not being able to see people that you're used to seeing all these things have been so divisive for us. Um, and, and we have just kind of soldiered through as, as a society. Um, and I think it'll take some healing to get through on the other side. And that's where the classical music comes in. Uh, very soothing, very healing. When you need your Zen moment, uh, you can tune to WSMR and, and just enjoy the peace. <laughs> well, great. Joanne, is there anything else you'd uh, like to share with us? We so appreciate the, your time and conversation and your support. Well, it's it's our pleasure to support uh, this really special week that acknowledges people all throughout our community who really find a way to to rise above and make things better for all of our nonprofits. Um, we we work with a lot of nonprofits, mostly on the arts and cultural side at WUSF, and we look at them as partnerships. And the partnership doesn't work unless there are philanthrop philanthropists supporting WUSF public media and our arts partners and our cultural partners. So, so these are the people that are really uplifting our community in lots of ways. Well, great, thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you in person at some point in, I hope the not so distant future. Well, we'll make that happen, definitely. Thank you. Thanks. joining us. Please stay tuned for more inspiring stories about philanthropy throughout our Tampa Bay area and visit philanthropytampabay.org to find and share your stories. And many thanks to our friends at the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay for being the presenting sponsor of Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week and to my good friend Wilma Norton for hosting the Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week podcast. Thank you. For more information on Tampa Bay Philanthropy Week and to catch up on all things AFP Tampa Bay, you can follow us on Facebook at AFP Tampa Bay, on LinkedIn at AFP Tampa Bay, and on Twitter at AFP Suncoast. It's funny that it's still Suncoast on Twitter. <laughs>